0: Um, what's their role. So Kohanim, we know now, are descendants of Aaron, and they've been chosen by God among all the families of Israel and all of the Jews. We believe that we are the chosen people. But among the chosen people, one family has been chosen by God where their main role is to serve in the temple. They first served in the temple in the desert. Eventually, they're going to serve in the temple in Jerusalem. That's their main role. Go- what are they going to do in the temple? They're going to offer sacrifices. They're going to offer the incense. They're going to light the menorah. All of the official services in the temple, they would be in charge of. The Kohen passes from father to son paternally. Only males can be kohanim. So you can, kohanim is the plural of Kohen. So only males can be a Kohen. Um, It doesn't pass on to females at all. That's the rule. And um, although there are family privileges. So children and spouses of Kohanim have certain privileges as well as um, families of the Kohen. Now, the Kohanim were often scholars... And therefore, they would have had religious roles. Remember, in Judaism, religious leadership in Judaism was always synonymous with scholarship. The sages, or the greatest scholars, were always the Jewish religious leaders, right? The two always went together. So, Koenim often served as religious leaders, were great scholars, and served as members of the Sanhedrin. In fact, we know of a number of Kohanim that were presidents of the Sanhedrin. Um, Most famously, Ezra the scribe, who really, Annette, is a topic for another class. Um, So (laughs) um, he was, Ezra the scribe was a leader of the men of the great assembly who wrote all our prayers and um, canonized the Tanakh, the Holy Scripture. So um, he was a Kohen and the leader of the Sanhedrin. There were others as well. Um, however, they did not necessarily go together. Kohenim as a Kohen, their role was in the temple. Um, scholars, any scholar can be a religious leader. Um, they also had no direct, there was no direct relationship between being a Kohen and a civil, being and the civil leadership either. Judaism always had separate roles for the Kohen, for the religious leadership, and for the civil leadership. In fact, Um, Jewish law explicitly prohibits Kohanim from becoming the civil leader, the president or king of Israel. Um, Although, in our history, there was one Kohanic family that broke that rule and took control of the land. And that was the family of the the Hasmoneans, um, the family of the original Maccabees who won freedom in, uh, in the Hanukkah story. And um, although we, they're great heroes for having won our freedom, we um, look down upon them for having then seized political power, and political power then remained in the family, in the Hasmonean family, for some 80 years, um, some of them even eventually declaring themselves as kings. So do not are not supposed to hold civil leadership. They do not necessarily have any religious leadership roles. Their roles are simply leading the temple. Now, we still have identifiable kohanim today, though as we'll see, it's not so clear who the kohanim actually are. So the main role um, of the kohen, as we said, is going to be the service in the temple, which is bringing the sacrifices, offering the incense, lighting the menorah. When they were in the temple doing their service, they wore a special kohenic garb that we just described earlier. The um, linen underwear with a linen um, shirt that went down to the floor, linen tunic, and a woolen linen belt, and a linen, uh, and a linen um, hat or turban. So they wore those special clothes. They were, of course, led by the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol was the head Kohen, and he was essentially in charge of all temple service. Um, he was in charge of appointing Kohenim to important roles in the temple, the temple itself. Had a whole hierarchy. There was a vice Kohen known as the skan. There was a treasurer who was in charge of the temple treasury. Temple treasury was a very, very important job because it had a lot of money in it. All the Jews sent money to the temple treasury. Um, So it was a very important job. And there were all sorts of other um, Kohanic roles um, for Kohanim. Um, In temple times, the Kohanim did not serve in the temple every single week, rather, or every single day, because there were, of course, a lot of Kohanim. Rather, the Kohanim were split into 24 families. And each Kohanic family, called a Mishmar, would serve one week, um, one, one week every 24 weeks. So essentially twice a year you got to serve in the temple. Um, when those families got too big, they actually split the families into seven subfamilies where each subfamily, called the Bet-Av, would serve one day a week. So by the second temple period, the average Kohen would only serve in the temple two days a week, unless they had a leadership position. But most Kohen would serve in the temple two days a week. Every family had its own hierarchy, its own president and person who would, people who would essentially manage the family service in the temple. Um, Kohanimah used to, of course, know which family they were from. We have lists of families. In fact, we know that during temple times, they would date, not using calendar months, but by using the week and the day of the week. And they would use the week as the week of the Mishmar, the Kohanic family of that week, would essentially be the date that they would date documents with. And We found documents um, from temple period that were dated Based on the Kohanic Mishmar of that week. Now, you said that a woman cannot be a Kohanim. Mm-hmm. So, how does it get passed down? From family to fa- from father from to son. Father's- mm-hmm. But if it's a female child, it's not passed along. It will not pass along, no, only to son. So, now, um, in addition to their service in the temple, which we said was their main role, Kohanim also have other commandments. Notably, they're commanded to bless the people every day. So the Kohenim get up, and they're supposed to say a special blessing. Um, bless the people every day. The Torah gives us the exact wording to use. Yivarechecha Hashem v'yishmarecha. It's a special Kohanic priestly blessing. And during the morning services, they bless the people every day. Outside the land of Israel, the custom has spread that the Kohenim do not bless the people every day, but we only do it on the festivals. Um, every day of the fest- every day of the festivals, we do it. But when it's not on, on a regular day, the kohenim do not do it. Um, in Israel, still today, the kohenim bless the people every single day during services. Now, the kohenim also had many other ritual roles in Judaism. Um, among them, there was a disease we will learn about it in a couple of weeks called tzaraas, which was a skin disease that when someone had it, they would become tameh, ritually impure, and the Cohen had to. Um, the, you needed a Cohen to declare someone ritual with Saras, tame or tahor, ritually pure or ritually impure. Um, they also had to approve. You needed a Cohen to approve the evaluation of other, of temple donations, and there were other rituals that a Cohen was required for. The only ritual that a Cohen today is required for, um, besides the daily blessing that they're supposed to do, is the pidyon haben the redeeming of the firstborn son that we're going to and that we're going to soon perform. So now together with the role of the Kohen, together with the Kohen's role, comes restrictions and benefits. So the Kohen has certain restrictions um, that God gives that does not apply to regular Jews, to other Jews, um, and they also have certain benefits. What are the restrictions of a Kohen? So firstly, they are limited in whom they are allowed to marry. In particular, they are forbidden from marrying a divorcee. A woman who had been divorced, they are forbidden to marry. A Kohen is also forbidden from marrying a convert. A woman who is a convert is also forbidden from marrying a Kohen. Furthermore, a Kohen is not allowed to marry a woman who has been married to previously to a non-Jew. Um, he's forbidden from marrying. And a Kohen is also not allowed to marry the daughter of a Kohen and a forbidden relationship. So say a Kohen married a divorcee, their daughter would not be able to marry a Kohen either. So these limits on Kohenim still apply to Kohens today. And, uh, which means that they have to be very careful, firstly, when divorcing. Normally... Um, when divorcing, I always advise people: go ahead, try it. Doesn't hurt if you ever—not um, straight away, depending on the situation, of course—not <laughs> always. Um, but there is sometimes a problem that people fail to get the get, the Jewish divorce, and without the get, without the Jewish divorce, um, they cannot halachically remarry. If they go ahead and remarry, they are living in in sin. And so we always encourage people to do the religious divorce to get straight away. And the great thing about divorce is, it's always—you could always go back. You could always undo it. Um, in fact, um, I know a number of people who have done exactly that. Um, I have a friend who was um, hesitant to get divorced, and the rabbi advised him, said, "Don't worry, you could get." He thought that he could make—he could work it out. She wanted a divorce. And the rabbi told him, just divorce her. If she wants a divorce, just give it to her. And um, later, if you work it out, you can remarry. It's a chance for another party. So he indeed did that, and they got divorced. And then sometime later, they remarried. It's always, right, you can always do that. And um, so divorce is generally reversible. Um, The only exception to that, of course, is a Cohen. A Cohen that gets divorced, it is not reversible. And therefore, because a Cohen cannot marry a divorcee, Right? Once he gets divorced, his ex becomes a divorcee, and he cannot remarry her. And so a Cohen must be very, very careful before getting divorced, and make sure that he has no, in, he, no, no chance he will change his mind, otherwise um, he has no way back. Um, if he ever regrets, or they both regret the divorce. Um, similarly, since a Cohen cannot marry a convert, um, a Kohen dating a non-Jewish woman would not be able to marry her even if she converts because the Kohen cannot marry a convert um, and so that will not, that will not help. Um, sometimes now converting for marriage itself is complex in Jewish law um, but, um, but a Kohen definitely cannot if a woman does convert he cannot marry her. In addition to the prohibitions on marriage, on whom the Kohen can marry, a Kohen is also forbidden from coming in contact with the dead, with dead people. A Kohen is not even allowed to be under the same roof or in the same building as a dead person, nor can a Kohen go to the cemetery, nor can a Kohen go to a funeral. The only, because they're considered holy and death is in Judaism is a dead body. That is is considered something that is unholy. The soul is disappeared, is gone from it, um, and so uh, therefore it brings ritual impurity or unholiness. Um, and someone there's a whole process to become Tahar, to be able to go into the temple after having come in contact with the dead. And so therefore the kohenim, being special, don't come in contact with the dead at all. There is an exception though. The Torah tells us that kohenim can and must become Tameh by coming in contact with their immediate relatives. So that is their mother, their father, their spouse, their brother, sister, children. For immediate relatives, kohenim can and must become Tameh and they can um, go to the funeral. But outside of immediate relatives, kohenim cannot become Tameh Cannot even go to funerals. I know some rabbis that are kohenim, and they do not perform funerals. They ask nearby rabbis in other um, nearby synagogues to do all the funerals for them, because a kohen is not allowed to go to a funeral. Um, kohenim today, therefore, cannot become doctors, because um, when you go to medical school, you need to cut up um, cadavers. And so a Cohen cannot become a doctor. Um, a Cohen, Cohenim in general, should even avoid um, hospitals. Hospitals generally have morgues under the same roof, which means that there would be um, that there would be non uh, that there would they would be under the roof of a, of the dead. Um, you don't know if there is or there isn't dead in the morgue. Generally, will be in any given hospital, any given time. You don't know, and so therefore um, the widely accepted. Ruling is that Koanim can go to the hospital for their own medical procedures or for family having medical for medical procedures and the like, but they should not just go to the hospital to visit or to volunteer. So they should avoid hospitals if possible. Uh, So those are the, if you will, um, those are the restrictions on a Koan with whom they can marry and going to um, coming in contact with the dead. But being a Kohen, in addition to the restrictions, being a Kohen also comes with benefits. Yes? Now, if <clears throat> away, and they, behind, you, they could go to Shiva. They just cannot go to the funeral. They could come in contact with the relatives of the dead. Just not the dead themselves. We cannot do it today because we don't have the process that they had back then, which included, um, you need the temple and you need the ashes of a red cow. Um, Very complex process to become ritually pure. Uh, We don't have that anymore, so there's nothing they can do. They still are forbidden from coming in contact with further dead. So do they remain ritually impure for the rest of their life? Yes, and all of us essentially are for all of our lives because we've all come in contact with the dead in one way or another. So, Kohenim gets certain benefits as well. Firstly, kohanim get a number of gifts. The Torah lists twenty-four specific gifts that kohanim should get. Some of them involve sacrifices. That includes truma. In other words, certain sacrifices were given to the kohen. Certain parts of sacrifices were given to the kohen. The truma was when a person. Um, When a person, uh, when a Jewish farmer in Israel had grain, they would have to take some of that grain and give it to the Kohen as a gift, and that was called truma, and the Kohen could only eat it while they were tahar, ritually pure. Um, We don't do truma anymore, at least not in that sense. Um, We don't give it to the Kohen anymore, um, because... The Kohens are not ritually pure. Nobody is anymore. Um, and so we don't do the Truma. But, that, but these were among the gifts that the Kohen would get. The only gifts that still apply. Of all the different Kohanic gifts that the Kohanim were given. Most of them no longer apply today. The only ones that do apply today. Are the Pidyon Habed, Which we're about to do. Where the Kohen is given five silver shekels. in payment um, To redeem a firstborn son. Um, or a firstborn um, individual has to redeem himself if his father didn't redeem him with a um, with five silver shekels there's one other gift that a kohen is given and it's also another ritual that a kohen presides over it's still technically applies today although it is fairly uncommon and that is called pidyon pater chamor, which means redeeming a firstborn donkey So one of our 613 commandments is that if you have a donkey and your donkey has a firstborn child, male child, um, you must redeem that firstborn male child. And the way you do that is by giving you... um, The way you do that is you take the um, donkey... Uh, you give it to the. They give the donkey to the Cohen, and then you exchange the donkey for a sheep. You give the Cohen the sheep, and you keep the donkey. Um, so those who are raising donkeys today would still have to do it. Um, I know people who did it just because they wanted to do this exotic mitzvah that is fairly uncommon. You could buy a donkey. It's probably not. It's probably possible to find a donkey farm somewhere. Purchase a female donkey, um, get them pregnant, have them have a firstborn, and then you would be able to perform this mitzvah. Does the sex, is it, does it yeah, male donkey. Yeah. 30 days also. Sorry, it's not thirty days. Yeah. And you also do the same amount of money. Like no, it's not with a sheep. Oh, sheep. So you have to get that a sheep. You need to get a sheep. That's <laughs> easy it's a sorry. <laughs> The 30 days is at the Pityon Abed, the firstborn son is at 30 days. I'm not sure how old the donkey is. I take that back. I'm not sure what the age. I have never actually witnessed it, but I know people who have done it. Okay, now in addition to those benefits, we are also told to honor kohenim. Kohenim gets special honor. Firstly, the kohen always gets the first reading of the Torah. So every time we read the Torah in the synagogue, the kohen gets called up to read the first reading. You know, we always give the Kohen number one. Then we give the second to a Levite, someone from the tribe of Levite. Um, also, when we do the blessing after meals, if we have a Kohen in the house, we always offer, ask the Kohen to lead the blessing after the meals. They can, if they wish, they can defer and give it to somebody else. We always ask the Kohen to do it. Um, then, in addition, we also are supposed to Honor Kohanim by not let them, we should not allow Kohanim to ma- uh, help us manually. So you can't have a Kohen schlep your things. You're supposed to honor a Kohen in that way. A Kohen, if they will, can insist. And um, if they insist on doing it, you're allowed to let them help you. So we're supposed to give them honor because they're God's chosen group, chosen family. So who are Kohanim? So, today they've actually found, you may have heard this, a gene in the Y chromosome um, that over 90% of Cohenim today have this gene. Which is really quite amazing that um, now having the Cohen gene is not evidence that you are a Cohen because we don't know where the gene started and there may be others, non Cohen's, that have the gene. It could be multiple families of the same gene. You could be, you also, it is possible, as we'll see in a moment, you could be a descendant of Kohanim without being a Kohen yourself. Um, Not having the gene is not evidence that you're not a Kohen, because again, we don't know that every original Kohen, that Aaron, the first Kohen, had the gene. Um, we don't know who it started with, so we don't know necessarily that every sub family, Cohen family has the gene definitively. Um, we also don't fully understand how genes mutate, which in general um, throws a little challenge to all of our um, genetic analysis because we know that over generations genes mutate that we don't fully understand why and how. It is still pretty amazing that more than 90% of Kohanim have this recognizable gene, uh, meaning that they actually appear to be uh, related. It's particularly amazing because 4% or 1 in 25 people who take the DNA test, those 1, 2, 3, and me or the Ancestry.com DNA tests, um, 1 in 25 people actually discover that they were wrong about their father. So 1 in 25 people, their father is actually not whom they think he is. It's caused a lot of family... Their father is not whom they thought he was. Um, This, of course, has caused a lot of family friction. Right? Where sometimes decades later, um, the supposed father discovers that their child is not actually theirs, and DNA is pretty definitive in showing us that, because you would have 50% of your father's genes. But that's a lot of people. One in twenty-five or four percent of people don't have their father's. uh, Their their father is not their father. If you think about that, over ten generations, if you go back ten generations, your father's 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 father, going back ten generations, most of us haven't gone that back. Back that far, but if you do, you have about a forty percent chance that you're wrong. That you're wrong. That it's one of those fathers was not a real father, right? If you tie four, four times ten, right? So you have about forty percent chance um, that your father is actually not your real father. Um, so if you look at a family like Kohanim, the fact that ninety percent have the same gene shows us something phenomenal: that their fathers actually were who their fathers claimed to be repeatedly for many, many generations. I mean, this is probably a hundred generations, if not more, we're talking about 3,000 years. So for many, many, many generations, their father were who they claimed they were, um, which tells us, given that koanim did not stand out in family life from other Jews, it tells a little bit about how Jews are in comparison with the general population, right? <coughs> that we tend to be pretty accurate with our fathers, and it tells you a lot about how Jews live their life and the family values that we have um, compared with the general population. But anyway, so the it is pretty amazing this Cohen gene. Although it is not definitive, it doesn't prove that you're a Cohen. It doesn't prove that you're not a Cohen. So that four percent is the general population. Yeah. What about the Jews? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if anybody has studied that yet. It would be interesting, though. I my hypothesis is that it'd be a lot lower evidenced by the Cohen gene that 90, more than 90% are accurate. Um, so, who is a Kohen? So, to be a Kohen, you have to be the male child of a Kohen. However, if your mother was forbidden to a Kohen, such as a divorcee or a convert, then you are not a Kohen. If your mother was forbidden to a Kohen, then the child, the male child born from that forbidden relationship, because he's not allowed to marry her, according to Jewish law, um, would not be a Kohen. But you still have a Kohen gene. You would still have a Kohen gene. That's why I said not everyone with a Kohen gene is necessarily a Kohen. It could be that there may have been families within the Kohen family that never had the Kohen gene. Also, That's also possible. It could be these families that mutated over the years. So regardless, it doesn't prove anything. But um, even if you know for certain that someone's father is a Kohen, they're not necessarily a Kohen until you know who their mother is and that their mother was kosher for a Kohen to marry. In temple times, how did they know who a Kohen was to serve in the temple? They were pretty strict about this. You needed evidence, hard evidence that you were a Kohen. How did you get hard evidence? You had to prove that your dad was a Kohen by proving that he had documentation that he was a Kohen. And then you had to bring witnesses that you were your father's son. Now, I know, of course, no one truly knows. However, for halachic purposes, if a couple is living together, we presume you to be your father's son. Uh, and, um, and so you have to have witnesses that they're the father's son and that the mother is kosher. And then the court, you would have to get a court approved to serve worship in the temple. A cohen would have to get a court approval that yes, so-and-so is indeed a valid cohen. Without that court approval, you would not be able to serve in the temple. Now, in the years since the temple was destroyed, which we're now getting close to 2,000 years, the temple was destroyed about the year 70. So we're close to 2,000 years since the temple was destroyed. Um, who knows, maybe 60, 70 generations. We have not retained our documented system of tracking Kohanim. Instead, people who believe to be Kohanim only know so because their parent told them. Or they claim to be Kohanim. So if someone claims that their father was a Kohen and their mother was kosher to be a Kohen. We trust them to be a, what we call, a presumed Kohen. Or in Hebrew, Kohanei Chazaka. Now, a presumed Kohen still needs to follow the Kohanic limits. They cannot marry the divorcee or the convert, the ones that the Torah prohibits Kohanim to marry. They cannot come in contact with the dead. They still follow the Kohanic rituals, um, the daily blessing, the Birkat Kohanim, they get the privileges uh, and the, uh, sorry the ritual, the blessing and the um, and the pijo haben, the redeeming of the first son. They get the privileges, the getting called for the first aliyah, the first Torah reading. Um, they get to lead the blessing after the meals, but they would not be able to serve in the temple when the temple is restored. Or eat Teruma once the temple is restored and we can become ritually pure. They would not be allowed to eat Teruma. It's not really relevant at this point, but in theory, the being presumed Kohen would not be good enough. What are we going to do? Where are we going to get Kohenim from (laughs) once the temple is rebuilt? So we would have to wait for Moshiach to come. And with Moshiach coming, um, the prophet Malachi tells us that the prophet Elijah will return, Eliyahu Hanavi, and Eliyahu, Elijah is a prophet, and he will be able to tell us definitively with his prophecy who indeed is a Kohen and who is not a Kohen. So, Teruma. Teruma is the agricultural gift from the grains that was given to the Kohen. So, so today we have presumed Kohanim, not definitive Kohanim. They have no hard evidence that they're Kohanim. They are presumed to be Kohanim, people that claim to be Kohanim. Now, many Kohanim have Kohanic family names. Not all. A lot of people with other names um, have, are Kohanim, or claim to be Kohanim at least. Uh, well, there are many Kohanic family names, including most commonly Kohan. Right, is a pretty common Kohanic family name. There are other versions of that. Kagan, just another version for those that came from the Ukraine where there is no H. Um, then another common is Kahana. Kahana is an Aramaic form of saying Kohen. Um, sometimes <laughs> um, it would be Kahanov or Kahanowitz. And those are all, of course. Just other names, ways of saying Cohen. Um, another common form um, among Ashkenazi Jews was Ketz. Now, Ketz is an acronym. Ketz is an acronym for Kohen Tzedek, Righteous Cohen. So it's an acronym for Kohen Tzedek. A common Sephardic surname for Kohanim was Azulai, Azulai is an acronym for Isha, Zona, Vachalala, Lo Yikachu, And that is a verse about the women that a Cohen is forbidden to marry. And so um, that acronym essentially says who they're not allowed to marry, but they made that into a, that became a family name. Uh, some have also Aaron or E- Aaronov ah, e- or Aaronov um, are similar or Aaronowits Ar- are again from Aaron descendants of Aaron would also be Kohanic names. Now, Not everyone with a Kohanic sounding last name is really a kohen. Cats could be shortened from other names. Right? They could have been other names that started with cats and became something else. In fact they became cats. In fact um There are a number of old Ashkenazic family names from the early, early Ashkenaz families that settled Germany a thousand years ago. Um, You're probably familiar with a lot of them. Um, Some of them are named after towns Shapiro, Epstein. Um, One of those common names is, which you won't hear anymore, but it was very common in Europe, was (laughs) Katzenellenbogen. Katzenellenbogen was one of the big Jewish family names. it was a very common name. Most Cats and Nel and became cats. So a lot of cats today are just from that family, but are not actually Kohanim. There were other family names that were all often Kohanim. There was a family name Rappaport, which was also an old Ashkenazic Jewish family name. Most Rappaports were Kohanim, generally. Uh, but not all. And that's because people over the years took their mother's name, surname, which was... It happened um, throughout our history. People, for whatever reason, either they didn't like the sound of their father's surname, or their father was a crook, or for whatever other reason, they chose to take their mother's surname. Um, that's, happened, that's happened throughout our history. Uh, also, people often change names. People, like we, I said, they would have changed their name to cats, to shorten it. People often just called themselves Cohen. They would have called themselves Cohen because when they got to Ellis Island, they had this hard-sounding name that was impossible to pronounce. What are you going to say? What's your name, Cohen? What else are you going to call yourself? So not all Cohens even are really Kohanim. and uh, there are even, of course, and now of course a Cohen can also marry someone that they are forbidden to marry, and that their male sons would not be Kohanim, um, as we mentioned earlier. Um, there are even many Cohens today that are not Jewish because a Cohen married a non-Jew. Um, Jewishness follows the mother and so the children would not be Jewish but they still go by the last name Cohen, right? So there could be many Cohens today that are not not, not even Jewish. So what about Khan? Khan is another version, yes. Khan 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 K-A-H-N or K-A-H-A-N there's a lot of different variations of that. That's amazing. Sorry? That, that's a, a maybe, it could be a... a that's commonly a Kohanic last name. Again, having a Kohanic last name does not prove that you are a Kohen. Um, often people will tell me they think they're a Kohen because they have a Kohanic last name. Um, and I, I would always, of course, respond that having, unless you know that your dad was a Kohen because he told you so uh, or because he would do the Kohanic blessings, um, you don't know um, just having a Kohanic last name is no evidence and no reason to believe that you are a Kohen because it's very possible that you are not. Um, well, there have been people, and I should mention this, um, that have told me that they are a Kohen because they had this dream that they were a Kohen. Um, and, I mean, once we're getting into that, there are people who um, have told me that they had either a dream or a vision that they are Jewish even though their parents did not tell them they are Jewish, but they had a dream or a vision telling them that they're Jewish. And so um, that's, of course, uh, not something that just started in the 21st century, but that's a... um, that's an event that's been happening for many, many, many years. The Talmud already deals with exactly such a situation. What do you do if someone comes and says, I had a dream, but I'm a Kohen, or I had a dream, I'm Jewish. Um, I had this vision. Someone came to me. The Talmud says, VeLo um, essentially, dreams are of no value. We pay no attention to dreams whatsoever for any halachic or Jewish legal purposes. We ignore dreams. Don't even worry about them. Don't worry. It doesn't matter what they told you in the dream. Don't worry about it. So um, maybe we're going to do another class on dreams. I think we did one. We could do another one. Yeah, two. We've already done two on dreams, Stephen says. All right. Too many. too too." All right. So. It's a great. Okay. So Kohanic privilege, unlike every other privilege in Judaism, um, is hereditary, and it's not based on a meritocracy. In general, we believe that God rewards people based on their actions. Um, holiness, a, person's a saintly person, based on their actions. Um, most leadership roles in Judaism would depend on scholarship. All ro- everything revolves around scholarship. The scholarship, it's up to the individual. How much you want to study, how much you want to learn. Um, that's all... Essentially a meritocracy. But the Kohanic privilege is hereditary. The Kohanic privilege, of course, is somewhat unfair. It's not fair. Why should you be a Kohen and me not? I'm not a Kohen. And even someone who's born a Kohen who perhaps doesn't want the Kohanic privilege. I've met Kohens who wanted to marry somebody to whom... The Torah forbids them to marry, and they'd prefer to do without the Kohanic privilege if they could. Um, they can't walk away from it. Um, so it, it is hereditary, so it's somewhat unfair, but definitely doesn't conform with our Western values of equality. And in fact, while they were still in the desert, there was a... Um, uh, Moses had a first cousin called Korach, who we're going to learn about in a couple weeks, um, who led a rebellion against Moses, claiming everybody, whoever wants, should be a Kohen. It's not fair that only your brother, Aaron, and his descendants are Kohenim. Everybody should be able to be a Kohen. Yet um, Korah had a bitter end. He ended up getting swallowed into the ground. And um, we... With all his followers. And we retain the belief that God did choose Aaron and his family um, to be koanim, despite the inherent unfairness with it, we believe that God has a role for every person and every individual. And he creates people with certain privileges. Our people, for example, we did a class about us being chosen a couple months ago, our people, as God's chosen people, are given privilege. Um, Nothing that we personally necessarily earned, we were born into it. Some people could join it, they earned it, but those that were born into it, we were given it. So we are created with privilege. Individuals are also born with privilege, whether being born into a specific family that gives them privilege, being born into a community, a specific community that gives them privilege, being born with talents, certain unique talents that give them unique privilege. Um, So God creates people differently. Some people with particular privileges that others don't have. This is a big contentious issue today. We're going to talk, we're going to do a class about equality coming up in a couple weeks. Um, But we do believe that God did not create all people equal. Um, It should be obvious to anyone looking around our world that God does not create all people equal. Some people are more talented than others. Some people are smarter than others. Some people are born into better families and better communities than others. Um, God did not create everybody equal. We further believe that we do not, it is not our role to give everybody, not only not to give everybody equal results, which is impossible, but it's not even our role to give everybody equal opportunity, which is also impossible. Because different people are going to have different opportunities. Um, there's no way to get rid of the v- differences unless everybody was, uh, unless we dubbed down the population, made everybody equally smart and equally talented, and somehow gave everybody the exact same finance, exact exact same background. It's it's impossible. It's impossible to give every make everybody equal. So our role is not to make everyone equal. But to help everyone maximize their potential. We believe that God created each person with a different role, a different purpose. Everyone has has a mission that God gave them. And some people's mission may seem more privileged than other people's mission, or maybe put in a place that other people, um, that appears more privileged. And um, that, that was God's choice. We don't know why. Um, Some people struggle more in life than others do. But we believe that everyone should, rather than focusing on being like others, um, our role should be to maximize our own potential and fulfill our own mission that God placed us here for. So God did create differences, um, but it's our role to maximize our potential, do the best we can within our role, and Kohanim too. Yes, God created, we believe God created them with a privilege to serve in the temple and be Kohanim, who we non-Kohanim, Are supposed to respect, um, with also certain responsibilities that come along with it. um, But the kohanim are. But we believe that everyone God expects them to maximize their potential. We are not necessarily created equally. So although kohanic rule is hereditary or kohanic role is hereditary, we're not. um, We don't choose it. We cannot gate it. We cannot walk. Kohanim cannot walk away from it. It's determined by God. Neseb is also caught from the tribe of Levi. Levi had also a unique role in Judaism. Um, they were given tithes of agriculture. They had a role to um, seek and guard the gates of the temple. Um, the Levites also had a, um, also to get the second Torah reading. When we call people up to the Torah, the Kohen gets the first one. The Levites get the second one. Um, so while Kohens and Levites have a role in Judaism, um, Baimonides writes, Baimonides the Rambam, one of our great Jewish thinkers, writes that while we cannot be a Kohen, everybody can choose to be God's servant and be Kohanic in that sense. In other words, God separated the Kohens and the Levites to as serve God, have a unique role in serving God. We have the ability to dedicate our lives to Um, And be essentially like Kohanim and like Levites to dedicate our lives to God. And that is something that God does give everyone choice. And everybody has the option to choose to focus their lives on their personal needs. Focus their lives on what I need or what I'm supposed to do or what I want or myself, or my family, or the people around me. Everyone can do that. Some people live their entire lives just focused on themselves, just focused on what they're going to do and how they're going to maximize their own lives, whether in their career, whether in their social life, whether in their hobbies. It's all about what I can do to further my own life. Um, My money says we can choose to be a Kohen in our own life, not the ritual Cohen, but Cohen-like in that we were supposed to be dedicated to God. We can choose to dedicate our lives to God. And in the same way, that's not by, we dedicate our lives to God, not by um, stopping to do, stopping to work, stopping our, stopping our hobbies, um, stopping to socialize, and spending the rest of our lives in a cave, the way we dedicate our lives to God is by um, doing what we normally do, but the goal should not be ourselves. We could do all those things, the goal should be to do what God wants. Yes, we work, but we work in order to make an impact in this world, to fulfill our purpose for which God created us, to make money to feed our families, but then to also make money to be able to help others, to be able to do mitzvot with uh, we have hobbies. Those hobbies also we must direct towards um, not just ourselves and our own personal pleasure, but towards following what God wants from us, following God's commandments, and helping others. And the same is throughout our lives. Our goal in life has to be not to. Um, ha- our goal in lives has to be not to um, maximize our own personal needs not our selfish needs but to really focus on God so with that we finish our video and our